If you are a child and you'd like to come up to the front, that would be great. And if you're not a child, you can still come up to the front. But the kids get the seat. So. It was wet. 
And it was so wet, it, the Bible says that he ran it out like this, and water filled, was it one or two bowls? I don't have my Bible in front of me. Somebody look that up, because I don't want to tell the kids a falsehood. But it's, it's Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so the next morning, though, Gideon said, God, I have one more request before I trust you. This time, could I'll put the fleece out, but instead of there being no dew on the ground and all the dew on the fleece, tomorrow morning could you make the dew everywhere except on the fleece? And God was like, that's so easy. So the next morning when Gideon got up, the ground was all wet, and when he picked up the fleece, it was completely dry. And God proved that he was able to do anything and that Gideon could trust him. And then again, the story goes on. We can talk about it more later on. I'm going to talk to the adults in a few minutes more about Gideon's story. But the thing that is so cool about this idea with the fleece goes with the scripture that's up on the screen. And some of you kids already know how to read. Some of you don't. So I'll read it with you. It says, if you remain in me, this is God talking. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Those are the words of Jesus to us, to his disciples. When Gideon said to God, I want to believe you, but I'm scared. I feel like, I'm I, I just not sure that I can trust you. Could you do this? God didn't get mad and say, what do you mean, questioning me? God said, sure, if you can help me believe, I'll help you believe. What do you want? Go to the fleece thing. He goes, okay, sure. And then the next day, Gideon goes, can we do it one more time? Sure, no problem. God didn't get all upset and mad because it says right here, if you believe in God and you trust him and you're taking his word in, you can ask God and God is going to do for you because God loves you. And so if you ever have anything that you need from God. I can't say Jesus. Mom says Jesus loves you when you don't sleep. That's the best way to fall back asleep, isn't it? To be thinking about Jesus loves you. So I want to pray with you guys. And I want you to remember this story about the fleece. Because literally, you can ask God anything. And God can do it for you. And God will do for you as long as you're trying to honor God with your life. So let me pray for you. Jesus, I ask that you bless these kids. I ask that you pull them and draw them into you. And I pray, Father, that you would teach them that you can make it have an intimate relationship with you, such that they can actually ask you for something and you would do it for them. And I pray, Father, even at this early age, that you begin to grow that faith in them, that they would begin to learn to trust you with every part of their life. In God, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can go back and sit with your folks. I'm going to give this back to Ms. Mary. This is <laughs> Well, we are going to be looking this morning at the story of Gideon. Uh, and I told you just a few minutes ago, it's in the book of Judges, verses six, chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're not going to read all three verse chapters. But we're going to look at that whole story in just a second. But before we go there, I want to talk to you about something that happened in my life about 20, 25 years ago. Can you bring up that slide that I put in there? 
I don't know if you guys can see very clearly what this is. This is a photo that I took this morning of the uh, what's on the bookshelves in my office. And as you're looking at the screen, on the uh, right-hand side of the screen, you see this big picture that's in a wooden frame. And you can't really tell very well from the, the picture because it's too far back. But there's a group of people standing in front of a tree. You see that image there? Then you look to the left of that and you see a little square brown, stripy, kind of grainy thing with the image of a tree on it. And the tree's kind of kind of twisty and gnarled. Well, what this is, and then you see the frogs, because I am the frog man, and frog means fully relying on God. So that's my office. That's what's in my office. But why do I have that image in my office? Well, number one, when I was in Bible college, I took a, I, I studied the Bible. Duh, that's because you want to go to Bible college, what you study. So I have an associate's degree in biblical studies, but I also have a bachelor's degree in Christian counseling. And when I was going through the counseling program, it was literally a full 12 months of training. I was in a cohort. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means you go to the same class. You go to your classes with the same group of people for the entire year. So every time you go to class, it's always the same. And that, in our case, we had 11 or 12 people in our class. And we, we, we traveled through this process for a full year. We got to know each other really well. Well, this picture was taken during a prayer retreat towards the end of that cohort year. It was part of our training. We were required to go to this weekend-long prayer retreat. And we decided as a group that we wanted to have this image taken of our group in front of this tree because this tree meant so much to us. God had spoken to each one of us through this tree. And unfortunately, the person who took the picture didn't know how important the shape of the tree was to us. So they didn't capture the tree. They captured us under the tree. And so you don't get to see exactly what I'm going to explain to you in just a second. But then I found maybe a week or two after that prayer retreat, I was in some gift shop somewhere in the Colorado Springs area. And I found these soapstone coasters that were laser engraved with this image of this wind-blown tree. And I bought 12 of them and I gave them to all of my cohort members and I kept one for myself. And now 22 years later, I keep this on my de- on my uh, shelf in my office because it is a very cherished memory of my time in Bible college and the people that I went through that cohort with. But why was this such an important Thing for us. If you could see from a farther back image of, of, of that tree, you would see that tree comes up from the ground and you see just above our heads where it kind of splits a little bit. There's a larger section and then there's a smaller section and this larger section starts to go off at an angle. Well, just at the top of that frame, again, you can't see it because the person who took the picture didn't know to capture it. That tree literally turns parallel to the ground. And then it goes for about two or three feet, maybe four feet, and then it turns back up towards the sky. And God spoke to each one of us in that prayer weekend about our lives and our relationship with God and how that tree images it for us or or, 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 or shows it to us. And what we saw in that was we were started all from the same place. But things happened in our lives and we started to grow up. 
But then we got off kilter or we splintered or, and some of us had just gnarly scars and then even got completely off track from where we were supposed to. We're supposed to be going up. That's what the point of a tree is, reaching up. But we got off track and we were now traveling along the ground, if you will. But then God intersected with us. And we shot back up. And literally, that tree, I mean, I don't know if it's just my memory or if it really, 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 really is. But in my mind, I remember that tree as coming up like this, going like this, and then going straight up. I wish, I wish I had that image farther back. Because, anyway... But that was something that God just brought to mind this week for me as I was reading the story of Gideon. Isn't that weird? Go ahead and bring up the the devotional slide and you can just leave that up for the rest of the time. This verse, I really hesitated to bring it out because I I don't believe in name it, claim it. I don't. I don't believe in prosperity. I don't believe in, you know, God's going to bless you no matter what and you're going to be profitable. And I, I do bless God, believe that God blesses us, but I don't believe that we can d- demand anything of God and demand that he's going to because his word said. I believe that we are in partnership with God and that we do what God asks us to do and we follow the leading of God and God works through us. And that's what I see in Gideon's story. And it reminded me so much of that thing with my cohort But there was this point in Gideon's story, and we're going to see it in a little bit. If you remain in me, if your focus is on God, if your purpose is in living for God, and you take God's word into you, and you you let it shape you and become godly and Christ-like and righteous and holy and whatever you need to say, then you can have a confidence that when you ask God for something, he hears you, and that it will be done for you. And that's not name it, claim it, folks. That's just plain old Jesus speaking to his disciples, because that's out of John chapter 15. That's the story that Jesus used, the parable that Jesus used about God being the master gardener, and Jesus being the vine, and us being the branches. And the tail end of that section, it says, if you remain in me, remember that, remember we preached about abiding a few weeks ago? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's an incredible promise. Now let's go into Gideon's time. Thousands of years. I don't know if it's thousands of years, maybe 700 years before the time of Christ. Might be even more than that. I don't remember. My timeline's all messed up in my brain right now. I'm on the road to kids camp already. Um, somebody pull out. Well, I'll, I've got my Bible up here. But pull out your Bibles. We're going to just quickly scan the um, the three chapters. Judges chapter 6. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Didn't I do good? I'm going to kids camp. I have to. (laughs) All right. So chapter six, verse one. And we're not going to read it, but I'll just give you the the synopsis. Gideon is a member of the Israelite tribe. 
He is uh, living after the time of Joshua. There is a group of people called the Midianites who the Bible describes them as coming over the land like locusts. They're nomadic people. So they're cyclical in their coming. They come yearly through this area. And it says that as they come through, they literally take over the land and they scavenge everything. They take the crops. They take the, 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 the livestock, leaving mess in the wake, in, in their wake as they go on. And they literally overpower the nation of Israel. I mean, literally. And so it says that Gideon, because of this, Gideon is hiding in a wine press, carefully trying to thresh the the wheat that he had grown. The reason he's doing it is so that no one will see him. Because if the Midianites see him with this food, they're going to come and take it from him. So he's trying to provide for his family. He's trying to do what he has to do, but he's doing it in secret. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. And it says, let me go ahead. Ah, don't lose my place. Verse 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, God sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said. I brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery, and I snatched you from the power of Egypt from the hand of your oppressors, and I drove them from you before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in those in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Ebiazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, first of all, it says the angel of the Lord. Scholars will tell you that they believe that this angel of the Lord was the pre-incarnate, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It was the second person of the Trinity appearing physically on the earth. Before his incarnation, when he became the son of Mary to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this was God, God's self appearing physically to a man who's scared to death. Who's trying to to eke out an existence under the threat of losing everything. And what does God do when God shows up? He says to him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Hallelujah. And Gideon goes, yeah, right, sure. If God's with us, why has all this happened to us? I mean, where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, didn't the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Well, now the Lord's abandoned us and he's put us into this hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Do you hear that? Go with what you've got. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to try to become something you're not. Go with what you have. I lost my place. What verse was it in? 14. 14, thank you. Um, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon goes, but Lord... 
How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. And then Gideon said, well, if I've truly found favor in your eyes, can you give me a sign that it's really you that's talking to me? I mean, let me do this. And what he does is he goes and he prepares an offering. And he, he, he kills an animal and prepares the meat. And then he prepares, it says, cakes out of an ephah of flour. Do you know what an ephah is? It's three-fifths of a bushel of flour. He makes bread enough out of a bushel, or three, more than a half of a bushel of flour. This is this huge amount of food that he was preparing. And when he brings it to the pre-incarnate Christ, this angel of the Lord, he says, I'm going to set up an altar here. And he puts it on this rock. And, and Jesus says, step back. And he takes the staff and he touches it. And it's like fire and consumes all of it. And Gideon's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm not being sacrilegious. Look what it says right here in the Bible. He said, I will be with you. And if I found favor, blah, blah, blah. And he brings in the, puts the offering. And then verse 21 Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, in other words, when he realized it really was God, he went, ah, sovereign Lord. That's Bible for, oh my God, oh my God. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, why was he so upset? Because their tradition said, you can't see God face to face or you die. So, Oh my God! Ah! But this is weird. Because it said, Jesus has already disappeared from his sight, right? But then verse 23 it says, But then the Lord said to him, Shalom. Peace. Don't be afraid, you're not going to die. How did the Lord say that to him if he wasn't there? How did Gideon hear him if he wasn't there? See, Gideon abiding in God and the word of God abiding in Gideon. Gideon had such a relationship with God prior to this interaction with the face-to-face with God. He loved God. He served God. He probably knew the Bible that he had available to him backwards, forwards, inside and out. He had hidden the word of God in him and he meditated on it and he prayed. He was a faithful follower of God. He was a faithful Israel. He was just, he was just scared to death because he felt so weak and, and, and unempowered. He felt so much that he was a victim and he felt he had no power, no strength, no abilities, but he still loved God and he knew how to hear God. And so God said to him in his spirit, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. I, you're not going to die. So verse 24, Gideon then built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. And to this day, it stands in that town of Orphrah. That same night, the Lord said to Gideon, I want you to take a second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, and I want, to, want you to tear down your father's altar to the false god. And I want you to tear down the Asherah pole, which is beside it, because 
in that culture, the false gods, there was a male and a female god that all dealt with fertility. And these two gods kind of went together, god and goddess, and they worshiped them together. And Gideon was told to tear all of that down and build a proper altar to the Lord on top of it. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull. Can you imagine the affront that this scared little guy is doing to his dad and to the town in which he lives? So Gideon, being the powerful and bold man that he is, takes 10 of his servants and does what God tells him to do in the middle of the night because he's afraid of doing it in the daytime. That's what it says in verse 27. So in the morning, when the men of the town get up and there's Baal's altar all destroyed and the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the bull has been sacrificed on this new altar and they're like, who did this? And they carefully asked each other this and when they carefully investigated, they were told, well, Gideon, the son of Joash, did it. And the men of the town demanded of Joash, the father, bring out your son, he must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole. And Joash replied to the crowd, Are you going to plead for your God? Are you going to try to save your God? Whoever fights for your God shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, let him defend himself. And so Gideon became known as Jeroboam, which means let Baal contend with him. So Gideon becomes a a, a man of renown. This man who was hiding in the wine press because he's scared to death and he's going to, and God comes and intersects him and face to face, and a mighty warrior, and he's like, oh, you know, he says, can I give you an offering just to prove that it's really you? Oh my God, it was really God. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Shh, peace. I will be with you. It's okay. Okay, I'll do this. Come on, guys. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it works. And then God says to him, where is it? I keep putting my Bible down and then I forget to do it. Uh, Okay, verse 33. All the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now, what this means is, is that a period of time had passed from the time of of this calling out of, of Gideon to become this mighty warrior for God. And he's, God is raising him up and establishing him with a name and a reputation. And now, again, remember I told you the Midianites were cyclical in their nomadic ways. And so they're coming back. And this time they brought a lot of people with them. And they filled the valley of Jezreel. Verse 34, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and he summoned the Abiasrites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And they too went up to meet them. And Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hands, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. <laughs> I trust you, God. I know you've called me to do this. Could you prove it one more time, please? <laughs> and he did. And it was a bowl full of water. Verse 38. I couldn't remember if it was one bowl or two bowls. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me just do this one more time. That's the fleece again. And then early in the morning, verse seven, chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. And God said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver the Midianites into your hands. 
in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. So announced to all the people, anyone who trembles with fear, turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, leaving 10,000. 32,000 people were with Midian, with Gideon, to fight against the Midianites. How much is 32,000? I looked it up on the internet. According to the census, the population of Fairbanks in 2019 was 31,000 people. So everyone in Fairbanks gathered with Gideon to fight against the Midianites. And God went, nah, too many, too many, too many. We're going to weed this down. God, just want to get a small amount. So now it's 10,000. But then the Lord said to Gideon, verse 4, there are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I'm going to do even further sifting. And so this, this time, God said, have them take a drink and watch who's drinking. And the ones who get down on their hands and knees and put their face down into the water to drink, tell them to go home. The ones who kneel and pull up a handful of water, tell them to stay. And so he does. 300 people are left. Out of 32,000. 300 people are left. All right. So the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men, go. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to the tent, but kept the 300. And he took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. And now the camp of Midian lay below him. And during the night, the Lord came to Gideon and said, I want you to get up. And I want you to go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, I want you to go to the camp with your servant Pura, just the two of you, and I want you to listen to what they're saying. Afterward, then you can, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. And so he, Gideon, and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Now, what does that say? That says Gideon was still shaking in his boots. God, I know that you've called me. I know that you call me mighty warrior. I know, God, that this is you. I know that... You've proven that this is really you talking to me. But 300 against all of these people, God. And God meets him where he's at. And he says, listen, I know in your heart, I can see that you're tired, that you're scared. I know you are, but I want you to be encouraged. You are the mighty warrior that I've called you to be. I'm going to be with you and we're going to do this together. And there's going to be this incredible, incredible victory with just 300. But I want you to be confident. So I want to allay your fears. So go down. And so that's what they did. So where am I at? Verse 9. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it to your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pur and his servant went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other people, blah, 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 blah. Um, And then he hears this guy Say something. Gideon is sitting there with his servant. He hears this man say, I had a dream. And he turns to his friend. He said, in my dream, I saw a round loaf of barley bread. And it it came tumbling down into our camp. And it, it struck the tent with such force that the tent was overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded. And he said, you know what? That can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. Can you imagine? God has given you a specific task. 
And God has given you very clear instructions and God is guiding you. And God says, I know you're scared and that's okay. I don't reject that. I want to work with you on this. I'm going to give you such confidence as you're doing what I've called you to do so that you can know that you know that you know that this is of me and that I am not going to fail you, that you are going to be successful. I want you to go right there and I want you to just quietly listen. And he didn't tell him what to listen for. He just said, listen. And it just happened that exactly that moment, this guy wakes up from a dream and just happens to be a dream in front of a friend of his who interprets dreams and just happens to say exactly what Gideon needed to hear at the moment Gideon needed to hear it. So then Gideon worships. And then when he's done being slain in the spirit, really and truly laying there just going, Oh, my God. God, thank you. 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 Then he crawls back with his friend Pua. And they go back up. And they get to the 300 of them. And he says, get up. The Lord's given the Midianite camp into your hands. And the other 298 are like, okay. (laughs) And he divides them into groups of 100. And he gives every single one of the men a trumpet and every single one of the men a lit torch and they put a a clay pot over top of it. And they break up into three groups and they literally surround the perimeter of this camp. And he says, watch what I do and then you follow me. And so Gideon, when the moment is right, he tells his hundred, start blowing the trumpets, crack the pots and hold the lights up and yell, for Gideon and for the Lord! And the other two Groups of 100 each do exactly the same thing. And this Midianite army that is sound asleep in their in the valley of Jezreel, all of a sudden, all the way around them, all they hear is, and they see all these lights and they're like, what, what, what? And they literally kill each other. We don't have time to read it, but that's what happened. Now, it, they didn't just all kill each other and drop. I mean, there's this chasing and Gideon goes out and chases them, blah, 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 blah. But there was great success. And it literally says, when you get to the end of chapter 8, that Midian never bothered him again during the whole life of Gideon. God raised up Gideon to do this powerful, glorious thing, identifying him as a mighty warrior, saying, I will be with you. And Gideon, through all of his, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, finally gets to the point where he recognizes that he is indeed empowered of God, and he walks in what God has called him. Kind of like a tree that grows up out of the ground, and it hits a point where something causes it go the wrong way and it doesn't see much of itself and it feels insecure and it doesn't have good good self-esteem. Nice Christian psychobabble word. And then, but then it's, sorry. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But then God intersects and God raises it up and it becomes what God originally intended. Powerful, powerful imagery. Incredible. But there's a problem with Gideon's story. Because if you haven't read it recently, let me take you to the part that's a problem. Go to the very end of chapter 8. Just before it says Gideon's death. Go to verse 22 
and read with me through 27. Gideon, it says, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. So the people of Israel were literally saying, we want to raise you up to be the king. And Gideon's like, "Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to rule over you and I'm not going to let my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request. That each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. And they answered, well, we'll be glad to give them to you. So they spread out a garment and each man threw in a ring from the plunder onto it. And the weight of the gold rings, he asked, came to 1,700 shekels. And I looked that up and that's 41 pounds of gold. Not counting all the ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on the camel's necks. And Gideon took that gold and made it into an ephod which he placed in his hometown, Ophrah. And all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Ah, Mighty man of God, warrior, does amazing, glorious things, learns how to trust God. How did the tree bend again? Because that's what happened. What happened? Gideon's practice was, I hear the word of God. I sense God calling me out to do something or speaking to me. And I test it to make sure that I'm not hearing incorrectly. Then, once I am convinced that I know that I'm truly hearing from God, then I begin to walk in that path. And as I have problems, God meets me where I'm at. If I'm fearful, God helps me. If I need spurring on, God will do that. God continues to grant me and bring me success. But we did not see Gideon ask the Lord how he should respond when the offer was made that he should be king. He very clearly said, I will not be the king. But I tell you what. Give me 41 pounds worth of gold. I'm going to honor God with this ephod. Now, an ephod is a breastplate. Okay? It's kind of like what the high priest would wear. Now, he, it says, put it up in his thing. It was probably in his mind a memorial. God did this wonderful thing. Look, look, look. But if you remember the story of Moses and the bronze serpent and the snakes in the camp and how eventually, Nahushtan, that was the name of the bronze serpent, they ended up worshipping that bronze serpent to the point where one of the kings had to destroy it. Same thing happened here. It was initially a thing to glorify God. Look at that. Remember what God did. But it ended up becoming an idol. Now, was Gideon wrong for doing it? I don't know. Was Gideon inappropriate for thinking that? I don't know. He wanted to glorify and honor God. But it says that this became something that caused him and his family and his town and the nation to literally prostitute themselves and become idol worshippers again. Because they worshipped the ephod and not the God that it was representing. And that to me is a mar 
on the story of Gideon. It, it, it taints the story of Gideon for me. And it bothers me and it makes me sad. Because I want to think about the fleece. And I want to think about the jars and the trumpets. And I want to think about the victory. But he didn't end well. And that's what I wanted to share. That's why I shared with you that story from the very beginning of my cohort and that tree. Because one of the things that that tree represented to us was that we had all committed to each other and to God that weekend that we were going to end well. We were going to take what God had given us and the intersection of God in our lives and how God had healed us from our brokenness during this time of being in a cohort where God literally, I mean, I could go into story after story after story of how God fixed and broke all the stuff that was twisted and warped and broken. But he finally fixed it and we were back on track. And we were committed to each other and to God that we were going to finish well. Now, my time isn't over with. I don't think any of the ones that I was in a cohort with have died yet. But my heart is, I want us all to be able to gather on the other side of the river and say, we finished well. And I believe that there's an intentionality that needs to take place in the way I choose to live my life to ensure that I do finish Just because I had victory, just because God, just because, doesn't guarantee I finish well. And Gideon is the reminder to me of that. So although it's not a fun thing, it is a powerful reminder from God to me that it's an everyday thing for me as I walk the path that he puts before me. I need to carefully listen to his voice. I need to carefully follow his leading. I need to and let his Holy Spirit empower me and to abide in him. I can take this promise out of the out of the Gospel of John. If I abide in him and his words abide in me, I can ask him anything and it will be done for me. I can do all of that because that's a promise that I have from God. But the reality is it is still on me to finish well. And I have to keep my heart, my hope, my focus, my attention only on God, not on anything else, nothing else, because there's a danger otherwise. And so my encouragement to you this morning is that I want you to think about where you are. Are you the person that's still growing and you haven't even had any scarring yet? Are you someone who has had problems and challenges and you're like this right now in your relationship to God because you're like off track completely? Has God brought you back on track and are you heading up? Or maybe some of us are right towards the end where we're just about ready to cross over. Even those people who are just about ready to cross over still have to guard so that they finish well. So examine yourself this week. Let God, the Holy Spirit, talk to you. Say say to him, Lord, am I on track? Am I going to finish well? What do I need to make change about? I mean, what changes do I need to make to make sure? And listen, he will guide you. He will guide you. Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you and give you glory. We ask God that you would please, please, please speak to us this week. 
and help us to hear you clearly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.